Good morning to everyone. We are so excited that we bring to you the Word of God through a new series in the book of Ephesians. At the same time, it's a very historic moment for us, no? Because tomorrow is an, another election day in the history of the Philippines. And today as well is a day that we celebrate and thank God for all our mothers. So we have titled this, the whole series of Ephesians as Richly Chosen. No? It's particularly talking about God's invaluable, no? beyond worth, that, uh, beyond worth grace to His church. God has given us tremendous and so much riches in His grace that Ephesians, one could say, you know, is like a, uh, a bank book, right? A, a, a bank that would, a passbook or a bank book that would let you know how much is in your account, okay? If, it's, uh, if you're a carrier of an ATM, you don't have a bank book, it's like you go to the machine and then you check your balance and then you see that, yep, you might not have any money in your wallet right now, but when you see and check for yourself the balance that you have in Christ, you would see that you are, every Christian is tremendously, invaluably enriched by God. And if there's something that, you know, we know that prosperity gospel is wrong, but if there's something that it says that every Christian is rich, it's just that it's not the now here in our life, but it's in heaven. And so that's why Ephesians is such a wonderful glimpse of God's grace to us. That every Christ, every Christian who has Jesus Christ is the richest person in the entire universe. Because every Christian's wealth, treasure, greatest treasure is Jesus Christ himself. The source of all good things, the source of our life, the source of even our eternal life. And so, what we want to do is start Ephesians with the idea that a lot of us want to do good. A lot of us, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you know His Word and there's probably... You know, every year, this, would, could be, this could be your battle. No, no. I want, th this year, I want to do what is right. You know, if I, you're an employer, you want to do right with your employees. If you're a, a, you have a spouse, maybe you, your, your wife, you want to say, I want to love my wife the way God wants me to love my wife. And if it's the other way around, it, I want to love and respect and honor my husband, I should. And if you have children, you know, we want to raise our children, we want to treat them right. As God has told us. And maybe if you're a child right now, you know, I want to respect mom. I want to obey mom and dad. Because that's what you find in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. A lot of practicality on how we should live in accordance to God's will for us to do good. But you see, I'm sure what you have found out is that you want to do good, you want to do right, and then you end up failing. You end up not 
doing it. You sin. You are not able to perfectly keep all of the good commands, the good laws of the Lord. Let me propose to you as we journey Ephesians is that a lot of us get it backwards. We start with the resolution. I want to do good. You know, we start with the, with the, the intent. I want to do right this time. And then what we do is we ask God for help. Lord, then please help me, Lord. Right? We do it the other way. Ephesians tells us how God does it. And it starts with the grace of God. The grace of God actually is the start. That it is God who calls you to sit with Him. It is then a response of everybody, every Christian who believes, that we will now respond to His grace and believe by faith. And we now, because of a renewed, empowered by grace life in us, we live a life worthy of His calling and to stand firm until the end. And if you fail the grace of God, remember your account? If you, are, you fall short, you're not able to pay, you're, you sin. God, your guarantor, the grace that will preserve you, will hold you until the end, will see to it that your security in Christ is not by works, by how good you do, but still by His grace. From start to finish, the Christian is given this invaluable grace. And not just to us personally, an individual, but the idea there as well in Ephesians we see is that this is a community. We as His church. Now, we'll start with two verses and the first two verses of chapter 1. And Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word in Ephesians for us. That you inspired this Apostle of yours, Paul, in writing this to the churches. And this is now, once again, being read to your church thousands of years later. And so amazed, O oh Lord, by your grace, how you have preserved this precious word of yours. Even when evil people would want to snuff it, destroy it, they could not do it because of you, O oh Lord. And so we have it right now. I pray that you would help us set aside any distractions, any concerns right now, even about tomorrow, even about today, and yesterday's, O oh Lord, that you would help us keep your word in our hearts, as we saw in our older sister Mary did. And may you, O oh Lord, bring forth wonderful fruit of harvest, as you only can, by your grace. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.
Now, there's so much th many things to unpack no, in these two verses long. But let me just start with Paul introducing himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he becomes an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The will of God. What is the will of God? What does it mean when you say, by the will of God, these things happen? You know, I became this because of the will of God. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10 would say it like this, that the will of God is His will that will accomplish all His purpose. Okay? The will of God is so high that nobody can stop what He wants to accomplish. In Isaiah 46, I want to say it this way. Remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do that I please. So when we say the will of God, it is God's purpose that will stand no matter what, no matter who will oppose it, no matter how many wants to change it or stop it, His purpose will still come true. It will still happen. No one can stop this. We call it the sovereign will of God. Sovereign meaning no one can question it, no one can stop it, and no one can even change it. That's the whole idea that God's will that, G that Paul is saying to us. But now that raises a very, very interesting question. Lalo na tomorrow. You see, if the purpose of God will stand, that He will do what He pleases, how come that a lot of people don't do His will? How come that it seems I see again and again in the Bible that God's will is this, God wants us to do this, and yet a lot of people don't. You and I are a testimony to that, right? We as well don't keep all of God's will. We don't follow it every time. So why can God say, I have a purpose that will stand. I will accomplish my purpose. I'll give you a few examples that not all of God's will for the people to do good are followed. See, 1 Peter 2.15 tells us, for this is the will of God. There it is, right? The will of God. And what does, he, what does the will of God want? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And you, saw, you see that one earlier in the first, uh, in verse 12 that, of that, is that God wants you to live carefully, properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Do we do that all the time? Can we say that we have followed the will of God by doing good, by living a proper life among our unbelieving neighbors? We can't. 
Now, especially in verse 13, it says there, for the sake, for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king as head of state and, and so on. We, can, we don't even do that. We see that in our social media right now. Not a lot of people are doing that. Another example would be of not everyone doing the will of God to do good is in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Now we know that it is still rampant even today. Nothing has changed. The world is still full of immorality. And what is this will of God that His purpose will stand? That He will accomplish His purpose? Now, tomorrow is going to be our 17th. 17th election of our history here as a country, as a free country. And isn't it amazing that there has been never since 1935 an election that was free of sin? Never. There's never been an election or a, a, a government in our country that hasn't been Infiltrated by sin, graft, corruption. Interestingly enough, in January in GMA News, uh, they have already reported 50, at least 50 crimes, 50 sins that have been done in relations to our elections tomorrow. January, but already 50 crimes have been at least reported to the police. Will tomorrow be any different? Tomorrow, I believe that the people, many people are still going to break the will of God to do good. But you see, what is this will of God that will stand and accomplish His purpose? It is the will of God that will have to be stronger than man's will. It is the will of God that will have to trump over sinful actions of men. You see, Paul introduces himself as what? An apostle by the will of God. Look, look, he says it in Galatians 1, 15 to 16. When God, who had set me apart before I was born. See, a lot of us think that grace comes only after we do something good for God. No. The grace of God starts even before you were born. The grace of God, His will for your life to show you grace, He will. His will will be higher than your will. Paul says he was made or selected by the grace of God to be an apostle before he was born. And called me. So you see, the grace here is setting him apart, calling him by his grace. 
And it was the pleasure of God to reveal to him his son. You know what that means for you and me? You are sitting right where you are, able to listen and love God because he set you apart before you were born. He called you before you were born by his grace already. And he was pleased that one day, one day in your life, you would be able to see. And why would you be able to see? Because he would remove the scales from your eyes. He would crush the heart, the hard heart of yours of stone, and he would replace it, transplant in it a new heart, able to love what he loves, able to see with the eyes of your heart. I need a God who has a sovereign will over my will. Because, you see, Saul, as he was formerly known, Paul's old name was Saul. Paul had a past. Paul had a, a, an old name, a past. And it was a horrible past. It was a sin-laden past. And he would say it in 1 Timothy as, the saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And his description of his old life the soul is that he was the biggest sinner of all. Not only is he a liar, not only is he a religious zealot, self-righteous, blinded by his pride about all his life's accomplishment, he was also a murderer. Now a lot of us can't say the same, right? A lot of us maybe stay or, or limit ourselves with thinking murder, murderous thoughts. But he actually was part of murder. And he would say that in his old life, he was the biggest sinner of all. And he's on his way to Damascus, about to kill more people. And the sovereign will of God meets him on that road. I need a God that will stop me where I go. You know, I need a God that would pull me from where I wanted to go. I need a God that would wake me up when I'm asleep. I'm, I'm, I'm about to slumber. I need a God that would hold me, anchor me if I'm about to drift away. I need a sovereign God that can do that. Because my will, I could, I could start with so much New Year resolutions, but don't keep all of them on my own. Saul was, grew up believing in a different God, hating Christians, murdering them, throwing them to prison. And you know what? God said it was all part of his plan. Do you know the implication of Paul's introduction to himself, I was made an apostle by the will of God, by the grace of God. 
the chief of sinners, was selected before he was born. As he grew up, God knew all his, the sins that he was going to do. It was part of his plan. You see that? God's plan is so high and unquestionable, unchangeable, that it can also factor in your sins, your failures. And still he will accomplish his purpose in your life. That's grace. That's grace. That's moral. What are we doing? A lot of us have bought into the idea that it is the human leaders who can bring change in the country. It is the human leaders that will bring hope to our country for change. I'm sorry. Nothing's changed. And they won't change. No human leader can do that. You need a sovereign, a truly sovereign king, a truly sovereign leader who can. And that is God. And God's sovereign will is that He will still accomplish His purpose even, even, even when people disobey His will. Isn't amazing? Jesus, God said in the, in the Old Testament, you shall not murder. What happened to Jesus on the cross? They murdered him. And yet, it was the plan of God. The plan of God to save us. So tomorrow, just like we are told, no, Christians, you don't grieve as people do. If the world, people of the world do without hope, we Christians, as you vote tomorrow, we don't vote without hope as people of the world do. Why? They put their hope in kings, in human kings. Psalm 146, 3 to 10 tells us, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. As you vote tomorrow with the conscience that God has given you, voting wisely, but you vote with hope, not on human authorities, but on the sovereign will, the sovereign God, who, even when sin, you see, I have a question for you. What happens if your candidate doesn't win? <laughs> what happens if your candidate doesn't win? Start giving up hope? No. Because even if your candidate doesn't win, you have a Lord over whoever will win tomorrow. It is your Lord who will have put that person in the power. Without God, they would have not been in that place. So you see, no matter what, we as Christians, we vote with hope, not unlike the world. Now I'm going to shift gears here and 
tell you in terms of if you have a family member, if you have a loved one, and until this day, he's still, his heart is still hard. His pride is still intact. You know what another implication of Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God? No one is beyond saving. No one is beyond the saving power of God. If God could save the worst of sinners, God could save anyone. So we as well don't share the gospel without hope. That our hope will die after so many times the person still refuses. No, our hope still stands not on our performance, not on his performance, but on God's surety and assurance. His will will stand. Now, another change of years, I'm going back and shifting now from our election tomorrow to, celebrate, to the celebration that we have today. In Ephesians chapter 2, we celebrate today Mother's Day. And where would, be, where would we be without our mothers? What would life be without our mothers? It would not be as wonderful. I could say, no, now, our, my mom is uh, our family's official storyteller. Uh, every day as we are now staying with mom and dad, uh, this wonderful grandma will tell sto uh, stories to my grandkids. And not only my kids, every, every grandchildren has not been uh, exempted. Every grandchild has heard her wonderful stories. She's a great storyteller. And I, I praise and thank God for my mom and her life and example. And I want to give this word now specifically for mothers. Because it's your day, my wife, you know, you have it. Uh, in, the, in our season in life, we have little kids, pa. And I could say now my job as a parent is easier than hers because I don't have the biological parts that could uh, help the children, you know, when they want to eat or drink milk. So, you know, I, I have a better time sleeping than my wife does. So, here's something that I want to first point out to you in this verse 2, that you could bring this with you as you go out, as mothers, as children, to your mothers, as we celebrate Mother's Day, is this. Paul's greeting is this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, but Paul does this in a lot of his letters. He starts with some form of give grace to you. And at the last part of his letters, he would end with a form, grace be with all or be with you. So he would start with saying, grace to you. And as you leave, as you go out, he would end with, okay, grace with you as you go out. You see, the letters, the epistles in the New Testament are written by the inspired 
authors, no? the apostles. And it was meant not to be read by an individual, but to in front of the entire church. Ephesians particularly contains no specific person because it was meant to be a circular letter. Okay? Unlike the other churches like Cor- the Corinth, that, that letter was specifically addressed to Corinth, the, the church in Corinth. Ephesians was a letter meant to be circulated all over on all churches. It's so interesting for me because he, the Greeks during that time had a, the usual greeting was they would call it, uh, they would say to each other when they would see each other on the streets or whatever, they would say, Charin. Okay? Charin. Okay? And Charin is like, hello. Right? Hi. Okay? And Charin. So that's the Greek way of greeting each other. Now, the Jews had also a greeting for each other, and they would say, Shalom. And that's what you see here, the customary word as well. Peace. Okay? Peace. So, for the Greeks, they would say, Charin, and means hello, hi. And, and for the Jews, they would say, Shalom, peace be with you. Now, I love it because Paul, you know, redeems it, Christianizes the greeting. If if the Greek uses the terrain, he doesn't use it in the same way, but he uses, he says, yes, and says, charis. So it's not the usual Greek greeting, terrain. It's different. He, he greets Christians. He greets the church with this, charis, grace to you. And if you can imagine this, as the letter is meant to be read to the church, to his people, the people from whatever they have been gone th- going through the whole week. On Sabbath day, they form and assemble together. You know, people with problems, people whatever, whatever they're going through, and a lot of them need this. A lot of them need this grace. And now the greeting would be, as they assemble, grace to you. This was a me- God's mean of grace an instrument of grace to impart to us. And what is that grace that is give, given to us, His church? The Word. The Word of God. So as you come and assemble together, and you're about to listen to the Word of God, grace to you, the grace of God given to you, as you listen to His Word, His living Word, And as you're about to leave, what have you been doing the past hour or minutes or so? You've been listening to His Word. What do you have now after coming? You've received a portion of His Word. And so Paul would now send you off with saying, Grace, bring that grace that you've received in the beginning as you go out. Grace be with you. so rich we're so rich in the grace of god and why is it so useful for you mommies out there that as you come god is saying to you grace to you and as you leave this place god is saying to you bring this grace with you as you go because all moms have our inner struggles your inner struggles don't you all you moms out there i know for a fact 
Because I have two mothers, three mothers in my household right now. I oh, know, and one is a uh, neighbor. But uh, you see, maybe some of you have been, you know, a lot of things that you want for your children, but you're, you know, you just can't have it right now. Maybe some of you have been swamped with so much concerns, so much demand for your time. Aside from your children, you have your husband. And maybe some of you are thinking that you're being a, living as a failure, as a mom. That you're not the kind of mom that your kids need. Maybe you're realizing that you have the, all these baggages in your life, maybe from the past, maybe from the current, and all these burdens that you're bearing is weighing on your shoulders. And maybe some of you are thinking, if only I could do more. If only I could do more. I'm so tired, stressed. I'm, I'm going to give you three encouragement from the grace of God on what your children needs from you the most, mommies. Number one, children don't need perfect moms. They need a mom who would love Jesus the most. We don't need moms who will do everything right at all times. But we need moms who love and put Jesus first and foremost. That's what every child needs. And that's a comfort for us, right? Because we, we don't, we're not super moms, we're not super parents, we're not super Christians all the time. We, don't, we, we, we will mess up. We will fall short again and again. But the grace of God can supply what you lack. If you have fallen short as a mom, you have a sovereign God whose plans will still come to pass. Even when people don't do what He wills them. You need that. You need that assurance. And that's why if you're a mom, mommy, and you love Jesus more, oh, you can trust Jesus will supply what you have lacked to your children. Second thing I want to share to you about the grace of God for you mommies today is that children need Moms who humble themselves before this living God and follow His plans even when it doesn't match her plans. It takes humility, see? It takes someone who trusts God, that God has your back, that God has the best for your future, it takes humble trust to say, okay, Lord, I wanted this for my kids, but I'll follow and trust your plans. You see, 
Children don't need mothers or parents that would plan out every detail of their children's life for them. What they do, what, the, what they do need is a mom that recognizes that there is a sovereign God who has His plan. And the mommy that loves Jesus, who grows in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, will be able to discern the will of God and trust and adjust her plans to align in accordance. You know what kind of home you would be having, mommies? You'd ha be having a very secure, open home. Your kids will grow up not having to be afraid to open up to you because you're a mommy that listens to the will of God, able to change your plans for His plans. Nothing in life will be ever as we expected it to be. You see, we expected, but by now, we would have five kids. But the God has still given us only two. And that is something that no, takes humility, takes, takes really love. That, hey, I had a different plan. If I could, you know, we'd be a baby factory over here. But God has given us two. And, and, and so for some of us, we have discovered as well that life isn't automatic. That indeed, the gift of a child is from the Lord. And some of us have taken it for granted. Some of us have complained about our children. Children needs humble moms who follow God's plans, even when it is not their own. And lastly, children needs moms who will keep on trusting God no matter their past failures or their current circumstances. Mommies, we need you to show your love and faith in the Lord. And that's what I'm really thankful to my mom for. When I'd wake up in the morning, I'd see her in our library and she would be praying. There was a time in our life, uh, in a season in our business where, you know, problems left and right, I didn't think that we could solve it financially, and yet my mom never gave up. Hope she would still be there every day praying. And that's a testimony, mom, that I'm so grateful for in your life. An example that you have shown me that, yes, despite current circumstances, despite failures in the past, mommies who will keep on trusting to God will such be a beacon of light to the little ones who are watching you and following you. And you know what, mommies? God's grace is sufficient in your weaknesses. God's grace doesn't depend on your performance. 
you are a wonderful mom. God has given you your children by His will. You see it? No accident there. Before you were born, God already had told you and, and already allocated you're going to be a mom to these kids that you have right now. Isn't it amazing that you have this sovereign God, such a wonderful God. And so, mommies, happy Mother's Day. May God's grace be unto you. And as you leave, grace be with you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, for our moms. Indeed, Lord, the love that you have, that we have received from them is like a beacon of light, Lord, highlighting your love for us. That we could understand your love more and more as we see it in the love of our mommies. Yes, Lord, all good things come indeed from you. You are the source of life, source of all this love that we have grown up with. And yes, Lord, your grace is sufficient for all our trespasses. Your grace is sufficient in Christ. Jesus, what he has done once and for all. You who have chosen us before we were born. You who called us and set us apart. Thank you, Lord, that we are recipients of this invaluable grace. Help us, Lord, be even more excited as the weeks go by, as we unpack the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And that none of us can say, ko, kay ko. No, oh Lord, I pray that we would say, I thank God that ye saved me. I thank God that you chose me. Lord, that is our prayer that this is in this church here in GCAF. Your church, O oh Lord. You are the head and we, the body and members, strengthened, empowered, and upheld by your grace. We pray for tomorrow and we pray for today. Help us as we celebrate Thanksgiving and happy uh, worship, Lord, to you for our mommies today. As we go in our separate ways, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.